I have a favorite. I just love being in the woods. I just spent two days dove hunting. Mm-hmm. You know, deer season's getting ready to open. Squirrel yeah. season's open. Right. Um, my favorite of all time, I love to raccoon hunt. I haven't done it in years. What do you do with raccoons? I, I don't do anything. But the, Wait, so you just kill them and then... Well, some guys sell the pet. They'll sell the fur. Is it expensive? No, it used to be. The price goes up and down. Raccoon fur? Yeah, but it's more about, see, if you've never done it, don't understand, it's more about the dogs, having trained dogs that know how to chase them. So you don't use any weapons. You train dogs to... Oh, no, you shoot them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you do the 22. Okay, I've never heard of raccoon hunting. I probably would edit this part out of the podcast. What? No, I know. <laughs> Absolutely not, because I'm learning. But you're a city girl. No, I can do both. I can do both. I can hunt. I have an AR-15, so don't use it right now. That's for hunting people. Yeah, exactly. So don't make me mad now. Welcome to the Almost Apostolic Podcast. I'm your host, Anissa. And this podcast is designed to share the backstories and the testimonies of beautiful ministry-minded people. I hope you laugh, I hope you cry, and most importantly, I hope you learn that we are all striving for perfection in an imperfect world as people of faith. So join me every week as I interview a few familiar folks and hopefully some you may not know. Here we are, another episode of Almost Apostolic. Thank you for joining us today. With me, I have one of my favorite people on the planet, even though the love is probably not reciprocated the way I want it to be, Pastor Ron Wolford. Now, right before I started recording, you were telling me how I was your favorite TBC student ever, correct? I I think we missed that part. (laughs) But... I was one of your favorites. So. Well, no, yeah, okay, no. okay. Well, then I can live with that. I can live with that. So I want to start with like a personal overview. Kind of tell the people where you're at now and how you got there. Uh, my wife and I right now are pastoring in Parsons, Tennessee. We pastor the River United Pentecostal Church, probably the greatest church known to mankind. Um, we've been there for six years. Prior to that, we were at Texas Bible College as a dean of theology for 10 and a half years. Prior to that, we pastored in Augusta, Georgia for eight years. Prior to that, we were dean of students and taught at Jackson College of Ministries. And before that, just various different ministerial positions. But um, without going into too many details, it's just been a long history of ministry ever since we got married 38 years ago. Wow. Do you remember all the classes you taught at TBC? I can remember most of them. <laughs> what are your top three you taught? Romans. Mm-hmm. Romans will always be my favorite. Mm-hmm. Just because of the, the way that it connects everything you learned the first couple of years. Mm-hmm. But then it would probably be systematic theologies. One and two or one, two and three. Mm-hmm. Not CMH. That was my favorite. Oh, yeah, CMH was fun. It really was. Now, I guess I was thinking more in the line of Bible theology. Yes. But on the non-theological side. CMH would have been the favorite. Break down CMH for those who don't know what we're talking about. CMH means courtship, marriage, and the home. We just dealt a lot with dating relationships and then marriage and family and home life. I will never forget the quarter um, concept. I am waiting on the day I can. You still have have I have a quarter. (laughs) And I will toss it to you on the day. Can you like go through that and explain what that means? Sure. 
back when I, I was teaching on dating at the end of it, I'd talk about how important it is to maintain your morality and your integrity. And I would give each of the young ladies a quarter and I would say, now I realize that today you have a cell phone, you can make a phone call, you know, without making having a quarter. But back when we were young, you always had to have a quarter for pay phones. Mm -hmm. So I gave them the quarter and I said, you know, if you find yourself on a date or in a compromising situation where a guy is trying to take advantage of you or pressure you, just hand him the quarter and say, would you please call my dad and ask him if this is okay? Or your pastor, and if he can't get a hold of your dad or pastor, tell him to call me and I'll explain the way more clearly. <laughs> and my goal was to have them be able to get all the way to their wedding day and never having had to use that quarter. I wanted them to give it back to me or send it to me on their wedding day. Mm -hmm. I've got a box with a bunch of quarters in it. Of course, there's a lot more that didn't come back, but that's another story altogether. Right. Well, yeah, you'll you'll receive mine. It'll be extra Good. shiny because <laughs> I'm taking great care of it. <laughs> so do you feel like teaching classes at TBC has helped with pastoral ministry in any way? Absolutely. I think anything we do in life, if you treat it right, respond to it right, it's always going to be an asset to what you do in the future because everything we do daily is not just what we're performing right now, but what we're doing down the road. I think it's been a help to have the 10 and a half years at TBC because it made me focus year after year on what subjects were really critical. And I would dare say that our church, and especially the youth group at Hyphen, have a good solid doctrinal foundation because I have a past in teaching here. And that comes through in my pastoral ministry. Do you feel like hyphen in general have a foundational concept or are you talking like specifically at your church? Because specifically at our group, I think the movement as a whole, we're not as doctrinally foundational as we used to be. And that's a concern. And a lot of that is because we moved away from being a teaching type of church, caught up more in the preaching, which preaching is good. We've got to have it. But Sometimes we get addicted to the preaching and the preaching is the what, but the teaching is the why. And if we don't give the why through teaching, the foundations there, you, you saw that when you were in Bible college, how many students came that didn't have a doctrinal foundation and how many since you graduated that although it was given to them, they still ended up backslid or in false doctrine. Do you think that technology plays a role in the teaching versus preaching aspect of things? I think so. Mm -hmm. I think t technology in general is a great tool um, it's a good servant. It's a horrible taskmaster. Mm -hmm. We made it our master instead of our servant mm -hmm. and we let it dictate to us what we do. So I think people are more apt to go online to hear preaching than they are teaching and they follow their favorite preacher, not necessarily a favorite teacher. Do you think people are consuming too much preaching content? That's difficult because I don't think you could have too much preaching. Mm -hmm. But I think you need a balance mm. because even in the epistles, Paul talked really just as much about teaching as he did preaching. Mm. And he said, a young minister ought to have the ability to teach. You know, he needs to be teachable and know how to teach. I've always, with developing young ministers and even those in, in our local staff now, I tell them, if you'll learn to teach, preaching should come naturally. Mm. But a lot of people learn to preach and never learn how to teach. So it's, it's, I'm a huge advocate of teaching. I guess what I'm like trying to say is like without the application, do you feel like people nowadays are just like 
hearing a podcast clip here or like seeing a good video on Twitter there and not applying it to where they're like gorging themselves? I think so. I think uh, let's, let's, let's put it like this. We have more people that are experts in fields they never went to school for because of Facebook and Twitter and social media because they, they get all these opinions from other people and they really don't research. They really don't study the word for themselves. You know, they just grab onto the latest catchphrase some preacher or teacher uses or the latest topic going around and never really investigate it. See, I think it can be bad. It's like the spiritual diet is give me 10 minutes and let me go. Mm -hmm. Give me a five minute blurb and don't try to give me any more than that. And to try to teach an hour, people get too restless. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's mostly with our younger generation or no, it's kind of across, across the, the spectrum. Board. Okay. It's across the board. Wow. So what advice do you have to these ministers that you like seem like they're consuming, consuming like small bits of content? I think it's a good thing to be a consumer of content. Mm -hmm. We're all consumers of content, mm -hmm. but there ought to be a challenge in all of us to also be a creator of content. And when I say the creator, it ought to be that we're going to God. And we're going to the Word, mm -hmm. and God is speaking to us, and we're developing it for us. Mm -hmm. We're not out trying to just repeat what somebody else has said or live my spiritual diet on what somebody else is preparing. Right. Too many uh, copies, not enough originals. Absolutely. Right? That's the whole point of this Absolutely, podcast. Yes. <laughs> anyway, um, back to your like pastoral ministry. Did you always know that you're going to be a pastor? I think so. Mm -hmm. I think it. You know, I shared this today in the chapel service at TVC that at 12 years old, sitting on a Baptist pew, I knew I was called to preach. Mm -hmm. And it just seemed like second nature to me that one day I would pastor. Mm -hmm. Now, even with that, though, there were there was definitely at least one season when my wife and I said we wouldn't pastor again. We felt like that we had done that, wasn't sure it was really our calling. And without going into details of that, it was a God thing for us to go back into pastoral ministry, but it really is something we love doing, especially where we are now. Knowing what you know now throughout your pastoral ministry, do you have, like, if you could give yourself any advice when you initially started pastoring, what would you say to yourself? You know, to be fair and honest there, I'm going to say something that my wife said to me when we were considering pastoring again, mm -hmm. after we had pastored the first time. And we were teaching at TBC and felt that door was coming to a close and that God was going to shift our direction. As a young pastor, I felt challenged by everybody that didn't want to live right. I felt challenged by people that didn't want to unify. And my focus was on them, always trying to get them to connect and do right and be right. And in the process, I neglected good, faithful people. You know, instead of building them, I was trying to drag others in that didn't really want to change. And it becomes such a stress and a tension that we allowed pastoral ministry the first time around to be incredibly stressful. So my wife, when we considered the second time, she said, there's two things I want us to remember. Number one, we're going to have fun. We're going to have more fun than we've ever had. So when we considered and then the Lord led us to Parsons, Tennessee, we thought this is the kind of place we can have fun. And it has been six years of the greatest time for us. So it's like, I want to have more fun. If it can't be fun, it's really not right. And mm -hmm. secondly, to come to the realization, I am not responsible to change anybody. Mm -hmm. I 
can't make them live right or dress right or walk right or talk right or be right. I can love them. I can pastor them. I can shepherd them. I can teach them. I can give them good biblical foundation. But ultimately, it's their choice. So I had to relieve myself of the pressure of feeling like it was up to me to make them light up. Okay, I feel like you, well, both of us have a very strong personality. I don't think anybody's ever said that about me. Do you, do you know your Enneagram number? No. Okay, no. but you you are, as far as personality, your cleric driving force is cleric, right? Okay, that's the same as me. I'm a cleric now. Okay, exact, I'm the exact same. Yes. Okay, so you are most likely an Enneagram one. Maybe not, but maybe. Um but do you feel like it's difficult to pastor someone with like a weak, not weaker personality, but just like a more sensitive personality? How do you no. maneuver that? It, years ago, it would have been, yes. Mm -hmm. But because I've tried to grow and develop and I've got a great wife that's helped me in this area. Mm -hmm. I'm learning because I've taught on these personality types for years. I did it in the classroom at right. COH. Mm -hmm. We covered that. But I'm learning that it's not just about knowing my personality. But if I understand the phlegmatic, the melancholy, the sanguine, then it's up to me to deal with them the best way that I can. That doesn't mean it's not necessarily personally frustrating. I don't let them see that frustration. Mm -hmm. I don't let them see it. I just, I change my expectation based on the person, not the project. Right. Okay. See, I feel like I am crafted for like the evangelist life because that way we could just come in, tell everybody what they're doing wrong, and then we can bounce. You know, <laughs> I'm very scared in like the pastoral realm. Can I like I know it can be done, and I know people love strong like pastors and pastors' wives to like you know preach them out of hell and stuff. But I'm very fearful when it comes to like giving advice or like you know pastoral you know here's what's funny <laughs> i mentioned this in one of the classes today mm -hmm. that the way that i interact on a bible college campus and how you saw me in the classroom is very different from a pastoral role mm -hmm. here it's developing young ministers it's a pressure cooker mm -hmm. it demands a little bit more of the for me my choleric personality the gift of sarcasm all of those things <laughs> that made me who I am. But it, to me, I felt like it made me effective. Mm -hmm. In a local church setting, you understand you become all things to all men. Mm -hmm. I'm not near as choleric now that people tell you I'm still driven, I'm still passionate, but I'm not an authoritarian. I'm not a demanding, you know, have high expectation mm -hmm. and want excellence. But it's really different because for one, you go in and you understand in a Bible college, I'm responsible to help develop your ministry. As a pastor, I'm responsible to help deliver your soul to heaven. Mm -hmm. That's weighty. And I have to be very careful of everything I say, everything I do, my actions or my reactions. So it changes. If you ever find yourself, you marry someone that you, you end up pastoring, you'll notice that change. And you'll say, you know, I love these people enough that I can excuse their weaknesses, their problems, and all that, and I can deal with them. Maybe. <laughs> I think you'll, you'll surprise yourself. Okay, well, hopefully, in Jesus' name, he'll give me the strength. Indeed. Yes. So I'm very curious to know how, um, you like, specifically pastors meditate on the word. Like, what is your routine for preparing for a sermon? Is it, like, morning, nighttime, verse by verse, or, like, does something just come to you? Yeah. 
How do you find it? You know, they say, let me share this first. They say that preachers preach from three motivations. Number one, they preach something that God has just laid on their heart and they've developed. Secondly, they just preach something they're interested in that's, that's good and just needs to be preached, so they preach it. The third reason is they preach because they're mad. Yeah. <laughs> so they want to set some things straight. Mm -hmm. I pray that I preach from the first motivation a whole lot more than the second one and never from the third one. But for me, a thing I picked up years ago from a mentor in my life, he said, even though Sunday is high stress and pressure and you know, you're, you're the one carrying really the stress of making sure everything's right and the service is good and the response is good. He said, he always made it a point to go back to the church on Sunday or to take some time in the afterglow mm -hmm. to get direction for the next week. And I try to do that. I try to go back into that spiritual dimension for a little while and say, okay, God, we're coming out of this. Where am I headed next week? It's not always the same. Sometimes messages can take weeks to develop. I have some that have taken years. But for me personally, let's say that I go to the church on Sunday or I spend some time praying somewhere and I get direction. I really let things marinate. I, I use the, the notes section of my phone and I'll make notes constantly and keep building, keep building, keep building. Um, I try to walk every day. So when I'm walking, if the Lord drops something in my heart, I'll, I'll add it to that. In reading, I try to focus my reading for the week around whatever I feel the thought is. That a lot of different approaches, different Bible characters, different Bible settings on that theme. Some you use, some you don't. But I will let things really marinate, marinate, marinate. I love to have my message ready by Friday because I don't want to be stressed on Saturday going into Sunday. So my goal is to have the basic framework together by Friday. And on Sunday morning, I go to the church early and fine-tune it before we have prayer meeting. That's what works for me. Yeah. Do you find yourself having like a foundational concept that you like filter your messages through? Or do you feel like every single message you preach is like completely different? That's a good question. And I, I want to say that probably depends on the time and season your church is in. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes there are seasons where you're preaching in the same venue. So one message spins to another to another. There are other times when what I preach this Sunday may be vastly different from last Sunday. The main thing to me is to try your best to know the mind of God. And I think sometimes we put too much pressure on ourselves when it comes to preaching, of saying, well, I've got to have the exact word for this service. I really got to. Sometimes preaching Jesus is just a good thing to do. Preaching deliverance is just a good thing to do. We need to take the pressure off ourselves to feel like we have to hit a home run every week. But I do think, I'm just, a, I'm a resourcer. I'm constantly reading articles, reading books, reading the news, and I, I create files because to me, illustrations are so key and critical. Right. And I've tried to, I think if there's a, a trademark to some of my preaching, it's some of the illustrations I put in the messages that I use in the opening or in the closing. And for me personally, this may be a little bit beyond what you've asked, Majority of the time, God gives me the altar call before he ever gives me the title of the introduction. And I end up building my message backwards. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a little different. That is. I mean, we can't all be as miraculous as you are. but I No, mean, I'm not miraculous. <laughs> it's just the method that works for me. 
Um, <laughs> I'm just like baffled. My brain is fried. Um, aside from the Bible, has any other book heavily influenced your life? Or like, what are you reading right now? If you could recommend anything. Right now, as of right now, I'm not reading anything heavy. Mm-hmm. We just had a family vacation. Mm-hmm. And where'd you go? To Pigeon Forge. Oh, how far is that? Uh, about five hours. Oh, that's it's nice. On bed drive is a great time for a few days. Then I came back and went to San Saba with a friend of mine, San Saba, Texas, and we dove on it a couple days, and then I've been here. So I intentionally put all the reading aside for a few days. But if I were to go back, when people ask for book recommendations, the one that is always in my top two or three is a book by David Wilkerson called Hungry for More of Jesus. It's one of the most unbelievable books I've ever read. It's one of those you read a few pages, you go pray. You read a few more pages, you go pray. It's just that compelling. Um, the Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer is another incredible book. It's a little bit heavier read, but it's a great book. Um, anything by Martin Buchanan, I love. I'm an avid reader, so at any given time, I'm usually reading one or two inspirational books, a doctrinal book, um, a couple leadership books, and at least one fiction book. I've been in church every single day of my life. <laughs> but, and it seems like from the beginning of like my earlier days in church, I remember always hearing like the coming of the Lord, like the Lord is coming soon, the rapture, you better get ready, especially around Y2K and all this. But I've heard it so many times. I don't want to say I'm like desensitized to it, but I've just kind of been like, yes, yes, the Lord is coming. Now <laughs> I feel like the signs are there. Everything is lining up for the last days. So I'm getting a little nervous. Are you ready to go? I'm, <laughs> I don't know why you're nervous if you're ready. Well, I know. It's just like you don't know exactly what's going to happen. So I do sure. just kind of get a little like, you know, I like to be in the know, Lord Jesus, but he hasn't told me yet. So um, do you feel like in this day and age, congregation members are understanding that these are the last days? Or do you feel like the majority of people are just still kind of going and leaving church unchanged? I think people are people, and human nature doesn't usually change. Mm -hmm. And in the overall, I'm going to say that people are desensitized. Not that they don't love God. Not that they're not looking for the second coming and want the Lord to come back and take his bride. We're waiting on the rapture. We all want that. But I think we, especially in America, can become very desensitized because we're bombarded regularly with, with sensory things, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, in food, in, in drink, in, in news, in media, in entertainment, or technology, we're overloaded. So by the very nature of our culture, we become desensitized. And church-wise, it can be a little desensitization because people have fallen in love with feel-good preaching. So when you preach the judgment or the soon coming of the Lord or conviction or sin, they're not as apt to be moved by it because they become desensitized to general and they're not hearing that. You know, we do our best and with our ministry team, we do our best to keep that as a forefront thought. You know, I've taken lately to tell the church here and there, we are the rapture church. We are the last church. We are the last generation. You know, I, I thoroughly believe that. I believe that so strongly. I believe he could come back before this podcast ends. <laughs> I live like that. I believe that. (laughs) And I'm not nervous like you are. 
Well, um, <laughs> you live right, Anisha. You're, right. <laughs> you're right, you're right, and I, I'm doing my best, okay, but I gotta die daily, sometimes hourly. Yeah, she will. Anyway, um, so talking about all of the sensory things that are coming at us and all the news and media and how sometimes we should be afraid and sometimes we shouldn't worry because everything's covered with, you know, certain types of things. Do you feel like the pandemic has truly altered the thinking of saints or do you think they're like slowly becoming desensitized to that as well? I think that's a tough question to answer. Mm -hmm. I think some people it has changed their thinking. Others, I don't think it's rattled them at all. And I'm going to be honest and say some days it changes my thinking. Some days it doesn't bother me at all. For one thing, you can't pray away prophecy. If he said it was going to happen in his word, it's going to happen. And he told us that all these things would come in the last days. So this, this could be just one thing and then something else is going to come. Now, here's what I do believe and what we have tried to share with our church. And I think they understand this, that things are not going to get better. They're going to get worse. If you're looking for normal, it's gone. We're never going to go back to the way it was a year and a half, two years ago. I don't believe we are. When this is over, there will be something else. You know, the pandemic overshadows the political mess that this nation is in. But if the pandemic wasn't here, we'd be facing these political problems. And, and so there's going to always be something, and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And that's why the Bible or, you know, talks about, you know, even so come Lord Jesus. Do we really pray that way? Even so, come Lord Jesus. When's the last time the church really prayed? You know, Lord, even though this is all going on, even though we've got lost loved ones, we need you to come back and get us out of here. Scary. Um, back to the, I feel like this relates to the feel-good preaching. Do you think that that was kind of like a ploy to, I would say, like lure people from the world into church and they intended on preaching it straight? Or do you feel like that's just what people want to hear and they get kind of like cringy when they hear the real stuff. I think it was like the song, you know, it's the old casting crown song, slow fade. Mm -hmm. It's a slow fade mm -hmm. that even some good, well-intentioned ministers and churches didn't realize that they were falling prey, just preaching the feel goods and preaching the blessing and not preaching conviction and not preaching salvation and not preaching judgment and eternity. So I wouldn't lay the blame totally at them and say that it was intentional. But I think in, with a certain percentage, yes, it is intentional. They don't want to preach the judgment. They don't want to preach sin. They want people to come to their church so they can build a big church or build a big congregation. When it's said and done, that's not important to me. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to end my days and stand before God and say, if we were, our church is growing, thank God. But even if it didn't, and if I was doing my best, I want to be able to say, I didn't water it down. I didn't waver. I wasn't hard. I wasn't an ogre, but I didn't give room to compromise. Okay. I want to talk more about TBC days because I was extremely buck wild freshman year. And I just, that was just because I was just leaving home, didn't know what was going on left or right. So I just went crazy. Sophomore year is when I started getting like, okay, well, this is kind of serious and my whole life is predicated on what happens during this small amount of time. So I got myself a notebook and I said I was going to write all my chapel uh, notes in this notebook, all my life application lab, you know, um, notes down in there. So I was looking through it a while back and I still have all my like big freshman, sophomore, junior, senior um, binders. And then I have the notebook with it. And so the very first 
message that was in there my sophomore year, 2012, was from you. I guess you preached the very first chapel that year, or maybe I just didn't pay attention. <laughs> but it was titled, And a Knife. Do you remember that? I do. What's that about? That message has to do with Abraham and Isaac. Mm -hmm. That when God asked Abram to sacrifice Isaac, we find that Abram doesn't argue with God. But there had to be thoughts going through his mind of, what are you asking of me? I don't mind building an altar and offering an oxen or a lamb or a ram, but you're asking me to give you the promise. And when God speaks to Abraham, he says, take thy son, thy only son to Moriah, and offer him there as a sacrifice. At a point in the story, it says that Abraham, you know, he took the wood for the sacrifice. He took the rope. All of the things he took, he said, and a knife. And I make the point, don't forget the knife. He took a knife with him. And nothing was done by accident. He had an intention of using that knife. So we know that Isaac was probably 25 to 30 years old at this point. He wasn't a little boy. He was a young man. He gets to the bottom of the mountain, and he looks at the servants and says, I and the lad are going to go yonder and worship. Somewhere in the heart of Abraham, he still saw sacrifice as worship, even though this is the greatest sacrifice he would ever make. And I talk about Abraham going up the hill with Isaac and building the altar, and Isaac probably helping him build the altar. And then you can imagine the feelings of Isaac when his dad tells him to turn around. He begins to bind his hands and bind his feet. I wonder if Abraham was tempted to leave the ropes loose so that Isaac could escape. And then Abraham said, well, what my fault? He got away. And I make the point about it's not what you kill on an altar of sacrifice that will harm you. It's what you let live that should have died there. From the point that God tells Abraham to go to Moriah, he becomes thunderously silent. You, hear, you don't hear another word from him until the Bible says Abraham took the knife in his hands and was about to slay Isaac and God stopped him and said, now I know. And my point to the student body was until God knows you're really willing to sacrifice what he's asking you to give, don't expect him to speak to you again. You've got to really be willing to pay the price and to take the knife in your hands. Not enough to build an altar, not enough have a sacrifice, you've got to have a knife in your hand. Wow. That was such a quiz. I didn't think you were going to yeah. Was that nine years ago? But you did. You've got a sharp memory there. I'm impressed. I'm not that old, Anissa. <laughs> what was your name? <laughs> okay. I want to wrap this up with some more lighthearted questions. I feel like we covered everything Genesis to Revelation. We like lighthearted. Light yes, we do. Um, so this one is going to be you do have to think about this one a little bit. Okay, so excluding Jesus Christ, if you could take three people from the Bible out to dinner, who are you taking and where are you taking them? Uh, the Apostle Paul, I'd take him to a good steakhouse. Mm -hmm. Jephthah, we'd probably go to a fish fry. Mm -hmm. And a third one from the Bible. Abraham. Okay, that's what I thought you were going to say. And yeah. we'll go to a buffet so we can eat longer because I want to talk longer. Mm -hmm. Are you taking them all together? That is an option. No, or individually? Absolutely not. Individually. <laughs> individually. Okay, good. Well, those are good. All right. So if you, if a pastor comes up to you, you're supposed to be at a church and he says, I forgot my Bible, my iPad died. 
can you preach tonight? And it's 6.29 p.m. What are you preaching? Whatever the Lord tells me to. So you just throw your hands but, up? And but let me just, you know, there are certain, and I think this is true with any preacher. If you've traveled a lot, done any kind of evangelism, there are certain messages you feel are universal. That you thought, okay, I could pull this out and preach this most anywhere, anytime. And there are probably two that I feel like I can reach if the Spirit's right. One of them is when all you have is worship. And you may remember me preaching that, you may not. The other one would be an understanding of our times. But fortunately, I've never been put in that situation. <laughs> so. Right. Okay, these next ones are just like this or that, quick, 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 okay? Are you an early bird or a night owl? Both. Okay. <laughs> is this how this but is? But I'm not like? as much of a night owl as I used to be. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I still... 5.30, 6 o'clock, I'm up, mm -hmm. um, usually up until between 11 and 12. Do you say supper or dinner? Both. Mm -hmm. We really do. We use both terms. Just mm -hmm. okay. What are we doing for dinner? Where do you want to go for supper? Mm -hmm. I mean, Interchangeable, you think? Yeah, but in our part of the country, dinner means lunch. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I use it anyways. I just like to confuse other people. Yes, I see. Yeah. <laughs> um, are you a coffee drinker or a tea drinker? Both. Predominantly coffee. Mm -hmm. Pancakes or waffles? Waffles. How are you dressing them up? Good, real butter mm -hmm. and true Vermont syrup. <laughs> no Not blueberries, no fruit. Just give me a good old-fashioned waffle. Mm -hmm. Who has the best waffles on the planet? Homemade. Really? Oh, those take forever, though. Mm -hmm. um, calling or texting? Yeah, I don't mind texting, but after about the third interchange, I'm calling. Mm -hmm. okay. I'm still a vocal person. Mm -hmm. Flight or road trip? None of the above. Really? You want you know, supersonic speed well, time you know, travel? Even my wife and I were talking about this the other day. The ten and a half years I was at TBC, I traveled all the time. You know, usually 50, 49, 50 weekends out of the year I was out traveling in the summers, teaching all week. She'll tell you, I said, if I could hire a full-time employee at the church, it'd be a driver. I would pick me up at the house and take me to the church. I don't care where they just, I'm so tired of driving. You should. Would you do that? <laughs> if I had the money. Yeah. And then I don't mind flying with all the COVID stuff. It's aggravating. Mm -hmm. But I, I just, I still preach out some, a little more selective in where I go and what I do. And it's not that I don't like to go and I, I, I mean, go on off nights because some guys want to have me, but I won't miss too many weekends at home. But it's just the, the travel is so taxing. I love being there when I get there, but just the thought of going to the airport again or getting behind the wheel is that cringe. So you need to invest in a private plane, is what you're that saying? That would be the ideal thing. Okay. Yes. <laughs> well, we'll make it happen. I don't know. But, but to be fair to the question, if it's less than about four hours, I would drive. Okay. But if it's over four or five hours, just let me fly. Okay. I got it. I got it. So are you city life or country life? Both. My wife's saying that I'm both. I can do both. Mm -hmm. We live a little bit in the country. We're an hour and a half from major cities. Mm -hmm. But for me personally, I could have a place in the country and a loft in downtown. Oh, wow. Okay. I love it. Well, I love both. Are you more a fisherman or a hunter? Since moving to Tennessee, I've done a lot more hunting and not as much fishing, but I do both. What's your favorite kind of hunting? The season's coming up. Uh, I don't know that I have a favorite. I just love being in the woods. I just spent two days doing dove hunting. Mm -hmm. 
you know, deer season's getting ready to open, squirrel season's open. Um, my favorite of all time, I love to raccoon hunt. I haven't done it in years. What do you do with raccoons? I don't do anything but the wait. So you just kill them and then? Well, some guys sell the pet. They'll sell the fur. Is it expensive? Not it used to be. The price goes up and down. Raccoon fur. Yeah, but it's more about see if you've never done it or don't understand. It's more about the dogs having trained dogs that know how to chase. Them. So you don't use any weapons. You train dogs. Oh, to... you shoot them. <laughs> <laughs> you do the twenty-two. Okay, I've never heard of raccoon hunting. I probably would edit this part out of the podcast. What? No, I know. <laughs> Absolutely not because I'm learning. But you're a city girl. No, I can do both. I can do both. I can hunt. I have an AR-15, so don't use it right now. That's for hunting people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So don't make me mad now. <laughs> um, raccoon hunting. Okay, well, when's the season for that? Um, it depends on the state you live in. Oh, okay. It's open a good while, but there's certain parts of the year it's closed. Interesting. Okay. Well, anyway, last few questions. Mm -hmm. Would you rather host a party or attend a party? I'm pretty even on that, too. Mm -hmm. okay. But probably in the overall, I'd rather attend than host. Yeah. It's a lot of back work if you host. Uh, casual wear or dressy attire? Casual. I can do both. Mm -hmm. I enjoy dressing up, but give me the casual. Mm -hmm. Facebook or Twitter, 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 Facebook. I, I do more Facebook. Really? Okay. Are you on Twitter? Okay. Yeah, I feel like you do more on Facebook. I've kind of backed off of social media a good bit in the last month or so. Just because? Yeah, just because it's, it's too, I use my page to do positive stuff and I've had to delete people's comments and posts on my page because mm -hmm. if you go look at my profile, it's going to be encouraging stuff, uplifting, challenging. Yeah. I'm not into controversy. I'm not going to post on politics. I'm not going to talk about COVID. Mm -hmm. I'm just not into all that. Yeah, me either. No, I want to see pictures of like dogs and babies, and then I'm just. I'm and that's what my wife wants. She wants happy yes. stuff. Yes. Very last question. Do pineapples belong on pizza? Only if there's ham on or Canadian bacon already on it. So you say yes. Absolutely. Okay. Hey. Pineapples belong on pizza and ice cream and oh, desserts. Oh, okay. Well, on, on certain things that you put on a smoker, mm -hmm. it's a versatile fruit. It's very versatile. Okay, well, that's all I have today. Can you just please put out into the universe that I was your favorite student? Like, for real. I mean, honestly. Let me put this out there. Mm -hmm. I've been praying for you that you find a good man. <laughs> Get that a good man finds me. What are you talking about? I'm just going to be wandering around. And then... you, you get married. I'll do my best. We'll do our best to come to your wedding and tell everybody you were one of our favorite students. Okay. You will be there. And I'll try my best. I was the favorite. After 10, like through my four years of school, though, I was one of your one of okay, yes, top, top three. I don't know, Anissa. I, I'm going to get in trouble if people like Cynthia wants to be in the top three. Yeah. Really? Well, then, okay, we'll be tied, I guess. But yeah. still. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. That's all for this episode of Almost Apostolic. If you enjoyed yourself, please do us a favor and leave a review. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And until then, thank you for listening.